0: He turns the corner from the living room and is naked. And I'm like, why are you naked? He starts making his way towards me yelling, why are you here? Why are you here? I hear a door close and I said, who's here? I look down and I see the boots from there. It was very, very chaotic. The police came, etc. And as much as I was angry and I was angry, I was so incredibly relieved because I'm like, at least I'm not crazy.
1: When were you called crazy? As a society, we often call women crazy to keep them in little boxes, to keep them contained. But I believe behind the women that are called crazy, they show undeniable courage, courage to take action, to make changes to their lives for the better. Welcome to Crazy Mighty Ladies, a show about the courage that exceptional women embody in the most unfortunate of circumstances. I'm your host, Jingjing Jing Tan. Today, I talk to Kirsten Morgan, who found her ex-fiancé naked with his co-worker on her wedding day. Kirsten and I talk about her incredible story and her healing journey.
0: So I am the oldest of three. So I have a younger brother and a younger sister, and then my extended family. We have just two cousins, and then a really large extended extended family. Uh, my grandparents. Both of my grandmothers came from really large families, and my grandfather's from um, yeah. you know smaller families, but the extended family is really large, but my family is just the five of us or was now my brother's married. So I have a sister-in-law.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing is every Sunday, the whole family gets together, not the extended family, just the immediate family and the grandparents, right?
0: Yeah. So we'll get together on Sundays. It would alternate whenever I was little between we'd go to my mom's uh, parents' house and we'd have Sunday dinner with my mom's parents and then her brother, who has since passed, and then my family. And then the next Sunday, we would go to my dad's parents' house, and it would be my aunt and my cousins uh, would join as well.
1: Wow. I imagine that there's lots of fun conversations and banters and things like that at the family table. But, you know, what I'm hearing is family is super important to you. And having that close knit circle uh, of support is really important. Kristen, at some point, you met your ex-fiance. How did the two of you meet?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I had just graduated college. And a friend of mine was like, hey, there's this new app. You should download Tinder. It's a lot of fun. And I'm like, okay. And at the time, I know that now there's very much this like view that it's a hookup thing. I think at that time it was in the early stage of Tinder. Mm -hmm. So I like to preface with, it was a little bit more legitimate at that time. So I was (laughs) in it for the right reasons. I was not there for a hookup. (laughs) That's not my thing, but
1: we met on Tinder in 2014. Wow. So that was quite a while ago. That the two of you met on Tinder. And what was he like as a person when you first met him?
0: When we first met, he was very attached. Like immediately it was, we should spend all this time together driving back and forth because he was about an hour from me. So every day I was driving back and forth. He was constantly there. You know, he'd show up at my work and bring breakfast, things like that. He actually wanted to establish the relationship pretty much immediately. And I mean, on our first date, he told me this whole story about um, his past and just uh, like different troubles that he had faced, et cetera. I won't go into all that, but it was very much in hindsight, a sob story at the time. You know, I'd never experienced anything quite like that. So I'm like, oh, bless his heart. He's been through so much and just seemed very
1: forthcoming and very genuine. So that was what drew you to him, right? Mm-hmm. He seemed at the time, genuine, authentic, vulnerable, almost. That was when I imagine you felt a lot of connection and empathy, right? You're a very, very empathetic person. I imagine that that was... What drew you to him? How did that go from there? So, you went on a date. He really, really showed a lot of um, vulnerability. How did things kind of evolve from there?
0: So, from there, we were spending pretty much every day together. I was driving back and forth to, he was playing summer baseball at the time. So, I'm driving back and forth to watch his games. He would come here, you know, after the games, things like that. So, it just, evolved very naturally into we were spending a lot of time together and had this seemingly great connection. So from there, we had started dating. He he asked me a few times to be his girlfriend. And so I agreed and he invited me to go meet his family. They were not from here. So we had gone on vacation together. So that i could meet his family and then he went back to school in the fall so we were a little bit farther away i was working i'd already finished school so he was about two hours from me at that time and weekends were either he was driving down or i was driving there so he ended up moving to my town he left school quit baseball and moved to my town after I found out he'd been communicating with his ex-girlfriend. I tried to break up with him. And he basically showed up and asked if he could move into our house. And I was blindsided. But my parents are very kind and generous people. And they were like, yeah, you know, he's kind of a, a stray dog situation. You know, you can't throw him loose. And so... He then became my roommate or housemate when I was trying to break up with him. So he started school here and had since graduated. I, a connection that I had actually got him a job. Things had really seemed to turn around. Like I had tried a couple of times to break up with him because of finding out that he was talking to the girls, et cetera. And he would always threaten to. Uh, kill himself or to be harmful towards me, different things like that. And so his parents would often call and say, just Just give it a few days so that he doesn't do anything crazy and things like that. And so I had stayed under the skies of hope. And I think hope can be a really great thing and it can also be a really dangerous thing. So I stayed under the belief that maybe things could change and that maybe his words in saying he wanted to be a better person and a better man were genuine and so i uh, extended a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness and there was a period of time where he showed promise and either either he had gotten really really good at hiding it or maybe for that short period of time he really was trying to make a change i don't know But it was then that he had proposed. And so that was in March of 2017.
1: And he proposed then and we decided we'll get married. I could tell even as you're retelling the story, you know, a lot of the reflections that you mentioned from your side, having hope and hanging on to that hope, I think, you know, looking back, there's a lot of red flags that showed up, right? So you mentioned that he was still talking to other girls. And were there other red flags that you saw looking back?
0: Oh, definitely. At the time, I was not familiar with narcissistic abuse. And so Mm -hmm. I did not know that these were red flags. I just thought this was a normal relationship. So I think some other red flags that I would say would be that, there were inconsistencies in his behavior. You know, there was a lot of like he would say one thing and do another or, you know, in talking to his mom, I remember one time she told me that he could be sitting. I'll never forget this. She told me he could be sitting in line at a drive through ready to order a hamburger and you could call him and ask him what he was doing and he would tell you he was ordering chicken. And I said, mm-hmm. why? And she said, he'll lie just to lie and i'm like what an awful thing to say but i think the issue was he had told me all of these things about his family and you know that his mother was this way and his father was this way and things like that just painting this you know life that he was this misunderstood person that you know they favored his brother over him and you know, his mom didn't like, you know, things like that. And so mm-hmm. you hear these things and you're like, well, that's odd. I wonder why you would say that about your son. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a lot of flags, red flags like that, where inconsistencies, constant drama with his family, things like that, where and <laughs> this seems very small, but to me, it was a big deal. We were eating at a restaurant one time and he went to sign the check, you know, And he said, oh, I really like this pen he liked the pen. And I'm like, I told him, I'm like, you can't do that. That's somebody else's pen. You can't steal. He's like, it's just a pen. It doesn't matter. I'm sure they have more. But I think that's something that seems really small, but it comes from a really large part of your mind and your heart where you think that you're entitled to something whether yes. it's yours or not. And I think that, that those things, the, the small things can often be a small glimpse into a much
1: larger problem. Wow. Absolutely. I think you're spot on about even the smaller behaviors, right? Like you said, sometimes what he says and what he does would be inconsistent. And in the case like this, even taking the pen means that he thought he feels entitled to it. Was that manifested in your relationship as well? Were there aspects where he showed entitlement towards your relationship?
0: Oh, absolutely. The things that he would do, and again, this is all in hindsight, but The things that he would do and then think that he was entitled to forgiveness. That he was entitled to a second chance. The things that he, you know, took and the peace that he took. There were a lot of things where he would use coercion to get what he wanted or, you know, manipulation tactics because he wanted this or he felt he deserved this. And so that manifested itself in every aspect of the relationship, really, in how we would interact with one another, in the spoken and the unspoken
1: things. And I'm sure over time, he knew which buttons to push, which levers to pull, right? As he mm-hmm. got to know you more, he knew how best to manipulate, so to speak, right? Oh, yeah. And so I think you mentioned that back in March of 2013, 17 was when you got engaged. What was that like? Were you starting to have doubts at the time? I I know you mentioned that at the time you were seeing some changes in behavior and there was still hope in the relationship. So tell us a little bit about that. The time leading up to that
0: and the day that we got engaged, those were probably the best and most peaceful moments of the entire relationship. Pretty much immediately after getting engaged it took a turn and immediately started becoming chaotic again. And I'm like, well, why are you doing these things? Why are these things all of a sudden an issue again? Why are you starting arguments about things that just don't matter or haven't mattered? So it was just this downward spiral from the moment that we got engaged almost immediately where He showed up. We were supposed to go out with some friends for like a celebration dinner, some friends of mine that I worked with, and he showed up late and smelled like weed. That may not be an issue for a lot of people. And that's neither here nor there. The reality was that he had previously smoked and said that he had stopped and he was working at a place where, you know, if they had drug tested him, which that was a real possibility, he would have lost his job. He lied about it. That was the issue. When he got there, I was like, Have you been smoking? And he's like, No, why? And just immediately started telling me that I was crazy, that it was his gum. Have you ever smelled gum that <laughs> smells like marijuana? I'm like, Okay, well, if you're if you're being honest, then we can take a drug test. Shouldn't be an issue. He's like, Yeah, yeah absolutely. Let's do it. Starts driving chaotically I thought he was gonna wreck the car he's flying down this road gets there tries to lock me in the car and is it was nuts and so we get into the store he's like they don't have any drug tests i said, there's one right here and he picks it up and he goes I smoke Hmm. and my thing is why like if you say that that's Not something you're going to do because you run the risk of losing your job. Why lie about it? You know, and why show up when we're supposed to go to dinner with friends to celebrate our engagement and then lie, just bold face lie. And so at that point, I was like, you know, I just don't know about this. And I started having doubts at that moment because of the lying. And he moved in with our marriage counselors at the time, um, which a lot of people were very confused at why we had marriage <laughs> counselors. And that must not be a normal thing in other areas. I don't know. But here it's standard that when you are going to get married, the pastor that you are going to use to officiate the ceremony will require some premarital counseling mm-hmm. to go through and discuss expectations and budget and things like that just so that you go into it confident that you know what to do they were friends of ours and so he told them what he had done and what happened and they said why don't you come and stay with us for a while and so he actually was living there and you know spending a lot of time like reflecting on why he feels the need to lie about things and things like that and so he tells me that he's sorry that he's not going to lie anymore and that he feels great remorse i say okay we can still get married side note should not have done that could have gotten out then but everybody's like no he's genuinely sorry and you know the the marriage counselors they are much like me so i don't hold them at fault for this they're such sweet people but They believe in extending grace. They believe in giving second chances and they believe in forgiveness, things like that. And so they were like, yeah, he's very sorry. He's said all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key is that he said a lot of things. And so he had everyone convinced that this was, this was a fluke. I was just stressed. It was a fluke. And so we proceed with the engagement, start planning and everything is, you know, a little better. And then August rolls around and we're playing co-ed softball with the people that he works with. And that's when at our first practice, I met the girl that he cheated on me with and was cheating on me with at the time. And I knew something was not right. Mm.
1: Wow. First of all, there (laughs) are so many, I'm hearing that Everyone around you was giving him second chances. You said the word second chances. It came from the marriage counselors. And by the way, the counselor piece is actually great. I wish we did more of that as a society because we have training for jobs, for school, but we don't have training for marriage. And I think that's mm. actually a great peace to be able to enter into marriage and set expectations through a marriage counselor so i actually think that's a great idea yay (laughs) (laughs) i love it at the same time though they didn't know him and of course like you said they were extending grace they were giving him second chances same with the people around you as well your family you know people who say things who show at least on the surface level emotional remorse tend to get empathy, tend to get a second chance. But it sounded like it was very inconsistent. What he said and what he did were just not matching at all over time. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So so you were at this co ed softball team and you were playing. And what was it about the the game or their interactions that gave you a hint? When she first arrived, they were,
0: her and her husband were running late. And so my fiance had gone to the car and was like, oh, I'll text them and see if they're on their way, which is fine. I didn't think anything of that. When she arrived, they didn't really make eye contact. And I knew that they spent a lot of time together at work. So I was like, well, that's odd. And then she spoke to everybody else and then did speak to him but well you know went running right past me didn't speak or anything and so he introduced me to her later and was like oh this is kirsten and she's like yeah we've met and it was just this like very sharp thing and i feel like i would say that after reading a lot about narcissists and empaths i connect with the descriptive terms of an empath and so you pick Mm -hmm. up On body language and these subtle changes. And so it was something that just didn't set right with me. I'm like, there's something off here. And in my mind, for whatever reason, it's always an absolute shock to me when people cheat on their spouses. I know that that happens every single day. It always shocks me because I'm like, well, that is an off limits person. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that I immediately suspected that there was. You know, a physical relationship going on. I just was like, she's kind of obnoxious. It wasn't until we got in the car after that first practice together. And I told him, he said something about, you know, what did you think of everyone? And I said, oh, well, everybody seemed really nice except for so and so. That girl is a lot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, she's kind of obnoxious. And he immediately jumped her defense and told me i was wrong wow and it was then that i suspected that maybe there was some like you know odd emotional closeness that the two of them had but he swore up and down like no it's not even that it's just that you're wrong she's a great person and jumped her defense so, through the next couple of weeks, they seemed to be spending a lot more time together at work, and his behavior was off. And she wouldn't really speak to me at the softball games. Her husband was super quiet, but she would always be like overly cheering and supportive of my ex fiance. Mm-hmm. I just knew something was not quite right with that relationship and that interaction. And it turns out that, you yeah. know, that whole time they were actively cheating. And I, I didn't know it. Her husband didn't know it. And he was telling me how wrong I was
1: to think that something might be going on with their friendship. Wow. Again, that whole denial and the lying, right? Mm-hmm. On both of their sides, because she was also in a relationship at the time. Yeah, married, is- literally <laughs> married. <laughs> <laughs> and we're engaged and they were invited to our wedding. Oh, my gosh. That's wow. what's so wild about it. That is wild. And it must have been super unsettling at the time. You're picking up on all of these physical cues and nonverbal cues. And there's denial across the board, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned that you were getting married, I think, September 30th uh, yes. of that same year. Mm-hmm. So... What happened leading up to that? I know the revelation kind of came a couple of days before. So how did that uncover? So we had started having a lot more conversations about the
0: relationship and this interaction that the two of them had. And so I viewed it because I didn't think that they were actively cheating as like, okay, well, if I'm wrong, we should start working on establishing good boundaries with the opposite sex like what is the expectation here how can we be respectful of one another while interacting because part of life is going to be interacting with the opposite sex and that's fine you know that's a normal part of life so long as it's handled appropriately and so i'm like well maybe we should talk about that and work on like what are your expectations for me with other men my expectations for you with her specifically because if you're not doing anything i don't trust her because of just the the kind of vibes that i'm getting mm-hmm. from my interaction with her that she's unkind to me so i'm not a fan um, of this person specifically but in general let's do a good job of establishing boundaries And so in the days leading up to it, he was telling me, you know, how much I just didn't trust him enough. And he was saying, well, I won't, I won't do this task at work. It's optional. We don't have to do it together. So I'll just do it independently Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and lied about that and Mm -hmm. found out that they were together. They were doing it. They were riding in the same car for pretty much all day, you know, things like that. And I'm like, why lie? If you have to ride in the same car, fine. Just be respectful. If you have the option not to, and you've said that you won't, why lie? And then if you're asked about it, why lie? And if you feel the need to lie, it's probably because you're hiding something. I'm not going to say that I handled everything perfectly because I'm a flawed human, but I was doing everything that I could to be understanding of the fact that this is his work, but also maintain these boundaries of, there's something not right with this woman, so we need to do a better job. It was a few days prior to the wedding, and we had just kind of gotten into this big blow up. I had bought us a house, and so I went by the house, and there were text messages on the computer and things like that and I'm like what is going on like there wasn't anything overly telling but it wasn't in a work group chat it wasn't work related these were like personal texts being sent and it showed up on the computer that's in the house and so I asked him about it and he tried to make a move against me and so it turned into this whole thing of like a physical altercation of house and I left. So I go home. He comes and follows me to my house. I had bought us a house. He was living in it and he followed me to my parents' house where I was living. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my parents were like, enough is enough. This is just getting to be too much. What is going on here? And he's telling them, that you know i'm being accusatory and i'm crazy and that he's not doing anything and i just don't trust him enough and and all this so they were saying y'all need to meet with your counselors at that point my parents were like we don't think this needs to happen Mm -hmm. and i'm like it's wedding week like this has to happen everything's paid for the invitations are sent like the flowers had been bought. That's how
1: close we are. Wow. This was days before?
0: Yes. It was. So this was probably six or seven days before that this yeah. happened, I guess. And then the decision was finally made where there were just a lot of talking and meeting with counselors and, you know, my parents and his parents and us and on and on it went. It basically just turned into, you don't trust me enough to get married. I want to postpone.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I said... I don't want to postpone. We can either get married on Saturday or we don't get married. And my parents are like, just cancel it. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, just cancel, cancel, get rid of it, you know. And he's like, No, I still want to get married. It was just, it sounds chaotic, me telling you, because it was chaotic. It was this constant back and forth, just commotion at all times of the day. I'm exhausted. I'm stressed, I'm not eating, I'm still working full-time, out of town, and we're just going back and forth all day long. So five days before that morning, I got up and posted on Facebook and made the announcement that we had decided to postpone the wedding. And so that was the agreed-upon decision that we would cancel for the time being with the intent to work on ourselves individually and together. And then I didn't obviously post this, but establishing trust because at this point i'm thinking there has to be a relationship going on between him and this girl and either i'm correct and he's cheating on me or i'm as crazy as he says that i am and i've lost my mind and neither of those are good options so i'm like okay yeah i guess we don't need to get married so we call off the wedding and we stay in constant communication we're working on you know, figuring out what we're going to do about the house and what we're going to do about all the different items that we have together individually and what's in the house. And just, you know, still interacting as if we're in a relationship because we
1: are. Wow. That must have been a tremendously chaotic, confusing period, right? So there's all this commotion happening. And it sounds like your parents were very clear about what's going on. They kind of figured out something is off. And yet you were stuck in the middle. Here are his demands. And you're trying to figure out what's the right way to move forward. So that must have been a very, very confusing, very stressful time for you. It was horrible. I was... I
0: was still working and my job is in physical therapy. And so it's very physically and emotionally and and mentally demanding because you're having to problem solve for your patients. You're on your feet all day and you're also meeting these emotional needs as well and working to encourage people despite their pain and motivate people to try to achieve these goals. And so that's my job. And I'm dealing with all of this stress and chaos and just emotional decline at this point. I'm so stressed that one of my best friends, when she's stressed, she wants cookie dough and ice cream and give her all the snacks. <laughs> when I'm stressed, I cannot eat. I will get sick. I get very just sick if I try to eat anything. And so for that week, I wasn't eating. I would take wow. a handful of saltine crackers with me to work. And I was doing good to get through three of them in a day. And so I lost about 10 pounds that week just because I couldn't eat. And so I'd get home from work. And my dad, he would have, hey, we got you hibachi. You know, he knows I love hibachi. We got you hibachi. And I'm like, thank you. And I would just sit there with my head down. I couldn't eat it. And I would try Mm -hmm. to. And I would just start dry heaving. Or the next day, hey, we made chicken casserole. It's like my favorite homemade meal couldn't eat it. Mm -hmm. And so my parents were doing everything they could to just
1: try to keep me afloat. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I was sinking. Wow. That is like you said, everyone deals with stress in different ways and no matter how much you tried to force yourself you couldn't eat that week. I could tell you were so distraught with all of this confusion, right? You know, you were still in that in a relationship acting as if nothing has happened, but everything has changed within the span yes. of that te- period of time. So, what ended up happening after? So this was right before your wedding, you had to call it off for the time being. How did you navigate through the next couple of days, couple of weeks, what happened there? So
0: after making the decision to call it off, that's when I was you know, not eating, I'm really upset and just distraught over not knowing if I've lost my mind or if he's cheating on me or both. And just dealing with this shame and feeling like, why is it that other people can have Nice things, and they can get married and they can do these things, and I can't. I navigated so many emotions during that time where I'm trying to process my current relationship that has drastically changed in a matter of a week while also processing my stress levels while also dealing with trying to reconcile this comparison game of, well, why not me? You know, why? Why don't I get to have this kind of relationship that my friends have? And we've done all this planning and I've I'd never known anybody really to to go through something like that that they that they told me about, it, of course. Mm-hmm. So it was a first for me and I felt, you know, kind of isolated from my friends and family, just from my own like self-isolation, where I felt like I was just kind of in this little bubble. And so on the day of the wedding, he was spending the day with his family and I had just stayed at home. home all day. So I told my parents that evening, I said, I want to go by the house and see him. And they said, no. And uh, I, I'm grown. You know, I could have left. But they pretty much had me on watch at that point. And so, so I said, I, I would like to go to the house. Y'all can come too. And I said, well, if you want to go that were coming because they didn't want it to turn into some sort of fiasco well we get there and it was a fiasco because i walk in and there's only his vehicle was there there was not another vehicle so i had no idea and (laughs) he had quit responding so the reason i wanted to go by there was because we had been talking and in communication all day and then it was around probably eight o'clock mm-hmm. so too early for him to be asleep and then all of a sudden he just vanishes and I'm like what in the world so I wanted to go by the house because mm-hmm. I'm thinking well I've been struggling all day maybe he's struggling he was not I opened the door and the way that the house was laid out it like fed straight into this like hallway where the guest bedroom where he had his bed and all was immediately to the right the dining room was immediately to the left and then down this hall it opened up into the living room and so he turns the corner from the living room and is naked and i'm like why are you naked he starts you know making his way towards me yelling why are you here why are you here i hear a door close and i said who's here and i look down and i see the boots from there it was very very chaotic the police came etc and as much as i was angry And I was angry. Mm -hmm. I was so incredibly relieved. Because I'm like, at least I'm not crazy. I was right this whole time. Every single thing that I thought was going on was going on, except even worse. So I wasn't wasn't crazy. I had not conjured up all of these things, despite him having gaslit me into believing that I had. And it was a relief because of that reason alone. I mean, obviously, I was still mad. I did not behave or handle it very well. But there was a stark difference in my behavior leading up to that moment and my behavior immediately after that moment. Beforehand, I was sad and I was confused and I was stressed because I wasn't sure of my own sanity or where I stood in this relationship. And immediately after that, I knew exactly where I stood and I knew of my sanity. And so I handled myself with a completely different demeanor and level of confidence. Wow. And Miley
1: Cyrus said it best. I came up like a wrecking ball. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what an extraordinary story. And also this man was living in your house. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the house that you paid for mm-hmm. and yet cheating and gaslighting you, calling you crazy And it sounds like before that incident, before you found out, the ambiguity of not knowing is it me, is it him, what's going on, what's the truth, that was more unsettling than after. So, after, even though you were holding all of this anger and frustration, maybe a bit of shame too, because you mentioned, you know, why can't. I have the same thing that my friends have, right? Even though all of these emotions are still there, at least there is now a clarity in terms of here is the truth. I was not crazy. And was that helping you to get clarity on what to do next? Oh, yes, absolutely. The clarity, like you said, was
0: everything. It was, I think, the, the mental anguish and all that was going on prior to that is what was the most debilitating for me. Mm -hmm. I think that was the heaviest, was all the commotion going on in my mind and just not knowing anything for certain anymore. And then after that, I knew everything. Like, yeah, you're still upset that you paid for a wedding. Well, My parents paid for a wedding that didn't happen. I had invested all of this time into this relationship and invested so much of myself and extended so much grace, and felt like every bit of it was just stepped on. But the clarity that came from catching them, and knowing that I was right, was freeing in a way that I thought, this relationship is over. There is no more second chances. There is no more going back and forth. He's not gaslighting me anymore, which I didn't even know what that term was until weeks later, when I started researching to figure out, what happened and how do I make sure it never happens again? I wasn't having to deal with any of that. I immediately went and sold my ring. There was no looking back. I had posted it on Facebook. I tagged all of Bill on Facebook and just let everybody know. And they were mad. And I said, well, if you're proud of how you handled it, if you are proud of the way you've conducted yourself, you should have no problem sharing mm-hmm. it with others. And I remember getting a call from my grandma <laughs> after I did that. I did that while still in the house and the police were there. It was very chaotic. And my grandma called me later and was like, you need to take that down. And I said, I can't. She's like, you need to take that down, Kirsten. You you cannot have that up on Facebook. Like they're gonna do something to you. I said, I have to do this. Not because I, yes, I was trying to shame them. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say that it was some selfless. In that sense, I was like, "Mm -hmm, I'll, I'll take care of you. But I knew that I had to do it because there was no going back. Mm -hmm. If I made it everybody else's business, he could not convince me at a later date that it had not happened or it wasn't as bad as it seemed or anything else. And so I knew that of all the shame that I had felt throughout the relationship and all the different things that I had navigated, I knew that I would not go back solely because If everyone else knew, I'd be way too embarrassed. And so I I told my grandma, I said, I have to do this. This is how I have to handle it because I know that I can't go back if I do. And I never looked back. I sold the ring and I went and retained an attorney and started fighting
1: immediately. Wow. I know that your grandma was probably worried about your safety, And yet it sounds like you posting on Facebook was something for yourself. It was a way to keep yourself accountable Mm -hmm. for the future, where if you didn't do that, you might still consider a second chance, or maybe there was something going on. Maybe there's another excuse that he will come up with. But to you, that action of posting and that public announcement of what had happened is a way to hold yourself accountable, to never look back. Absolutely. Was that what was going through your head at the time? I don't know
0: what all was going through my head at the time because I was so in a much. whole other level, but I think so, yes. I mean, there was very much this sense of there's no looking back after this moment. Yeah. And I knew that's what was necessary. And I mean, we know that when something crazy or traumatic happens, our brains will kind of erase those moments. I didn't want that to be erased to where I would ever doubt myself and what i had seen and what i had witnessed. Now, my parents were there, but it's, it's just different when you can look back on your own words and the things that you said. And I read it and I I have it hidden from Facebook now, but I can still access it. And if I were to go back and look at it, it doesn't even seem like something I would write. Hmm. And that's because it had been such a chaotic time that I wasn't I didn't feel like myself. I wasn't behaving like myself. And I was in such this unhealthy state. I mean, we don't thrive in chaos. We know that. And so I felt like I was a plant that had my roots just yanked up from the ground. And And
1: my behaviors at times reflected that. It's exactly like that, right? You almost had your roots cut off and you had to reorient and grow new roots. So how did you go about the healing journey? Was that immediate? Was that gradual? Tell us a little bit about that. So,
0: I wanted to ensure that nothing like that could ever happen again. I went into the relationship with good intentions, with a belief in functional relationships. I'd seen nothing but functional relationships my entire life up close. And so, I believed in the institution of marriage I believed in these things. And so, I was trying to figure out how did I get myself into this situation and while I'm not responsible for the things that happen he's ultimately responsible there were things that I either ignored or overlooked or something within me made me susceptible to this mm. and I wanted to ensure that I was educated about that and figure out myself what my deficits were figure out why he was the way that he was and figure out how to prevent myself from ever going through something like that again. So it started out as kind of a defense mechanism of sorts and just looking at the world on guard and thinking, I, I will not go through this again. And so I started doing a lot of reading and spent a lot of time reading both books and then, you know, inspirational Poetry and things like that, where I was really struggling as the legal battle was going on. And, you know, I'm getting people that I thought were friends would ask how I'm doing. And then I'd get a call from my lawyer saying, so-and-so is saying that you're being slanderous. Well, no, I'm not. You know, things like that. They tried to say that my Facebook post was defamatory and had defamed his character. which i responded you cannot defame character if you have done but (laughs) um things like that they i was getting contacted from his lawyer was saying things like trying to shut me up basically is what it boiled down to Mm -hmm. of we don't want her talking about this we're gonna we're gonna sue her for this if she doesn't stop i was well within my rights for everything that i had done i didn't post or say anything that wasn't explicitly true i shared my story and have continued to share my story but at that time they wanted me to sign something and agree to not and i refused and so i just dug my heels in and because of the stress that i was under during that time i was looking to external sources books and words for as a lifeline really and so i started doing a lot of reading i started you know, writing for my own healing purposes. I was journaling a lot and had kind of dabbled in poetry. And And from there, just continued with that until the legal battle ended. And so the last entry that I wrote in this journal that I had started, I called it Darkness to Dancing. And and it was because I had gone to a church service that I did not want to be at. And there was a song about you turn my darkness into dancing. And I've got my arms crossed and my faith journey is my own. So I never want to impose that on others, but I've got my arms crossed. I'm like, yeah, right. Darkness into dancing. Yeah, please. Like, you you don't even know. And it seemed like this unattainable thing to want to dance. And so I thought, well, if it's unattainable, let's make it a goal. And so I started writing every day and I would just write about my day and it was a way for me to process my emotions. And my last entry in this like darkness to dancing journal that I started was about how this legal battle seemed never ending. And I was just so, so incredibly tired. And I never wrote in it again because I didn't think it was ever going to end. And I got a call from my paralegal on the 333rd day that wow. it was over. Wow. How did you feel when you got that call? <sighs> um, Like a weight had been lifted. So I got to go to the attorney's office and sign the papers and I was so pumped. I got my legal file. I didn't know how much my fees were going to be. I was stressed about that, and I went in there, and it was like half what I thought it was going to be, and I got my big old file, this big, and I took the cheesiest grinning selfie with my big old legal file walking out of the attorney's office, and I said to my family and said, it's over. 333 days later, it's over. Yeah, and that was the best. We had taken some pictures preemptively in belief that one day it would be over and so we had taken some like celebration photos basically as a way to claim it and say this will end and i'm coming out on top and regardless of what happens You know, he was trying to get the money from the house and trying, you know, all these different tactics were used. And so the abuse had continued into the legal journey of him calling the day before our closing on the house and telling the closing attorneys that we were just going to split it 50-50. And there was a paralegal who just happened to catch it and was like, no, that doesn't look right. I see you have attorneys involved and told him he wasn't welcome to come to the closing. And she called me and told me what had happened. And so to the bitter end, he tried to take the house from me. And it was such a relief at that moment because I knew I don't ever have to deal with this person again. And I can finally move on because at this point, it's been nearly a year. Mm -hmm. And so we had taken celebration photos with balloons and it was just a really beautiful conclusion to the ugliest season. And I think that really is when I could just rest and I didn't have to fight anymore. I could rest. And so that's when throughout that time I focused on my healing and I was trying to be the healthiest version I could be. And I, I recognized too that in the initial stages, I hadn't always handled myself with uh, (laughs) grace, but I wanted to make sure that I was handling myself well and I wanted to fight well and I wanted to fight honest. And there were things that I could have done to make things more difficult or, you know, there were things that I could have done and my my brain would tell me, you should do this and said no. I knew that if I handled myself poorly, I couldn't be proud of the fight that I had. And that if I had dug my heels in in an ugly way, then that maybe would have been like his punishment, you know, and I'm believing that one day he he will ultimately have to be accountable for the things that he's done. So I wanted to, I wanted to do it well and do it right.
1: When you're going through trauma, it's very hard to extend grace, right? It's very natural to be just feeling all of the emotions and trying to figure out how to manage your own emotions and also manage the situation that you're in. And I think you did the best you could, given the circumstances, given how insane this whole situation was. Yeah. How did you find the courage? How did you find the courage to heal, to seek out words, to seek out journaling, to seek out poetry? How did you find that courage?
0: I think that the courage came from the belief that a lot had been stolen from me. And the belief that I deserved more than to have my future stolen from my past. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want for this, while it was a defining moment and while it changed my future direction, I didn't want for it to turn me into something that I didn't want to be. I wanted it to be used for something good. Mm -hmm. So my whole goal was for myself to find healing and to learn something from it because that seemed like the only way to make peace with what had happened. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to approach it as I can repurpose this pain into a greater good. good. And I think that that came from the belief that I deserve better and from the belief that there are a lot of people who are suffering in silence and they deserve better as well. The amount of messages that I received after I posted that on Facebook to tell me that they had been going through something similar and nobody knew about it, or they had gone through something similar in the past and no one knew about it. I refused to be somebody who went quietly, and I wanted it to be that my story could empower other people to share theirs as well, because when we're going through something like that, you feel so alone. I did not know anybody else who had navigated something like what I was navigating. And so while I had a great support system, I didn't feel that they really fully understood the way that I was feeling. And because there was no one else seemingly around me that faced that, I felt alone. And I didn't have anybody to like bounce this off of or like draw inspiration from or direction from or anything else. And so I wanted to... Do it for myself, for past me, for future me, and for everybody else that may encounter something similar.
1: Absolutely. And Kristen, you were brave enough to put your story up on TikTok. And <laughs> last that I saw, a video garnered 14 million views. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> why do you think there is so much interest in your story? Wow. Oh, okay. Let let me just say that
0: when I posted that, I thought a thousand people would see it. Like a thousand people had seen everything else that I had ever posted. And I just did a quick lunchtime story time because a few folks had asked me to. And I went back to work and my coworker came up to me. She said, Kirsten, you looked at this? And it was at 65,000 views at that point. And I was shocked I had never had more than I think the highest viewed video I'd ever had was like 10,000 maybe so it had surpassed that and it had only been an hour so <laughs> I knew I, I knew I was like this is not good this is not good this is not good <laughs> so for about three days I cried about it and I, <laughs> was so overwhelmed I called my mom just crying and I'm like What if they see? My biggest concern was that the people from this past experience would see and it would invite them in some way back into my life, which it did. One of the girl's mothers reached out to me, told me I needed to take my video down and uh, change it because she didn't agree with something that I had said. Oh, ma'am, you don't get to rewrite history Mm. respectfully. Get off my page. Yes. <laughs> and so I had my mom respond to her because I just wasn't going to go down that route. And so my mom responded and she was just going back and forth with my mom. And finally, what it boils down to is she wanted to rewrite the past and be on the right side of it. And her behaviors in the past did not allow that. And so deal with it. And so I cried for the first two days. And then afterwards, I, I thought, This is a really unique opportunity. And I did not imagine I would be here. But what better way to share about some warning signs of narcissistic abuse so that other people don't end up in that same situation? That was the whole heart of everything I've done is that people would feel like there's somebody out there that gets it, you know, even if it's just like one poem that connects with somebody and makes them feel seen. That was the whole heart behind me being on TikTok was to share those poems and all. So I thought, I'll just be thankful for this and I will handle it the best way that I can. (laughs) And after it hit a couple million, I no longer felt overwhelmed by it. So it just continues to climb
1: and we're just riding the wave. (laughs) (laughs) I think it resonated so well um, with people. To your point, there must be lots of women around the world going through something like this, and they felt the same way that you did. They felt lonely, they felt shame, they felt confusion, and I think your message really resonated. The fact that you're able to come out the other side of this tunnel with light and grace and The way that you you write poetry is just beautiful, and I'm sure it resonates so well with people. It definitely spoke to me, and that's why I reached out. And I genuinely believe that your light is shining up on people. So, thank you so much for that. Um, Thank you. That was very kind. Of course, of course. It's all you, Kristen. It's all you. Whatever happened to your ex-fiancé, have you heard anything about what's going on or mostly cut off? No,
0: I blocked him and everyone that he knew on every form of social media. So whenever it finally ended, I had read a lot at this point about narcissistic abuse and the best way to just completely move on is to go no contact so the only way he can get in contact with me is if he were to show up at my house which i would not advise or send a carrier pigeon so <laughs> other than that he's pretty well blocked on everything and <laughs> uh, um, yeah i have no no interest in keeping up with any of them i've had some of his friends like former friends or people that we knew together that have added me or you know just to try to be nosy in some way and i just i i have no interest in i'm a different person i feel very much like there was a death of part of myself back then and i have no interest in reviving any of those deceased relationships there i am perfectly content to be right where i am so the past is very much behind
1: us (laughs) Close one chapter and a new chapter opens. Absolutely. For women who are in similar tough situations as you did, as you were, how can they summon courage the way that you did? Oh, wow. I I think that everyone's
0: different. But a way to summon courage is to recognize your own self-worth and to realize that While you may have felt at some point that it's your responsibility to save someone else or to be a sounding board or source of refuge for someone else, that was never your burden to carry. And it's not a weight for you to carry any longer. And so I think it's okay to put it down and realize that you are worth so much more than feeling insecure or feeling misunderstood, or being abused, or beaten down emotionally, physically, sexually, financially, if that's what you've known, then I would say that I really hope you recognize that you deserve better, and that you can create better for yourself walking away. And it's simple things, you know, it's
1: a a step at a time. Yeah, one step at a time, slowly walk away. Yeah. And for our listeners who don't know, Kirsten has a poetry collection called Words Like Water. And Kirsten, I would love for you to share one of your poems that inspires strength in those that are going through a hard time. Will we be able to do that?
0: Absolutely. So I have two, but one I think will help people to garner strength within themselves. But I think part of being strong is also after you have been strong within yourself to extend that to others. And so I have two poems, one that can be more introspective and one that's looking a bit more external. In My Bones You once called me a victim because I did not accept the disrespect you gave. That's the day I should have walked away instead of fighting for something not worth restoring. If ever you believed me to be a victim, you never knew me at all. Overcoming is in my DNA. Surviving is in my bones. Then the second one I would like to read is the title poem. So this one is Words Like Water. Words strung together, poured out by others like ice cold water on an August day, time and time again helped me carry on just a little farther through the blistering heat. So if by chance these words of mine can replenish another, helping them to carry on just a little farther, how unfair to keep all the water to myself, a reservoir of hope hidden away.
1: Kirsten, thank you so much for sharing your well of wisdom, your water with the rest of us today. And I'm sure a lot of women around the world were inspired by your story and also are able to seek courage and strength from what you've gone through. So Kirsten, if folks want to reach out to you, where can they find you in terms of social media? My social media platforms
0: are kirstenmorgan.poetry on both TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. So if you want to reach out or would like to send me a message at all, I've had a lot of folks send me messages about their own experiences. The best way to do that usually is through Instagram, but I try to respond to every
1: single message that I can. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for sharing your courage and your healing journey with us today. And we hope that Kirsten's story has inspired the rest of you as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.